the song service. Amen. I'm telling you, he is in it, isn't he? He's consumed by it, and that's where it should be. That is the way. I've been in some churches where I couldn't sing because if I were to sing, everybody would stop and look at me because I sing loud, and that's just the way I sing. So sometimes I just have to throttle it back, you know, try not to interrupt the service. But it is a blessing to be here tonight and uh, has been a blessing to be here this week. If you're interested in the books, uh, if you want to get a whole bundle of them, if you want to get a bundle of them, uh, I have a bundle price. Thank you, sir. And I'll be glad to talk to you about that at the book table. And I have four new ones since I was here last. Some of you bought just the four new ones because you already had the others. And uh, so I still have several of those left back there as well. Anyway, appreciate the nice meals I've enjoyed here this week in the fellowship with the pastor and his wife and Brother Legault and his wife, and Judy. Uh, it's been a real blessing. Fellowship has been sweet. Uh, you know, God's people have something the world doesn't know anything about. And they can't because they're not part of it. But I've enjoyed that. Enjoy and appreciate your kindness. You folks are very kind to me when I'm here. Appreciate your friendship. We desperately need that. Um, I, you may not believe this, I hope you don't, but um, not everybody likes me. It's hard for me to believe that. Everybody likes my wife. She has a 100% record of making friends. And I don't have a 100% record, but I'm trying. And I always tell people, if you don't like me, keep it to yourself and let me think you do, and God will bless you for the sacrifice. And I'll be blessed thinking you're, I'm not asking you to lie about anything, just don't say anything, Amen. But I appreciate your friendship. Friends are valuable. And my wife and I have hundreds and thousands of friends across America and Canada, Philippines and places like that, Caribbean islands, as well as in heaven. We've had several preachers cross over and go on to heaven in the last few years. Several of them. Some in their 50s. And, uh, of course, we have a lot of friends in heaven because of that. And I, appreciate, and I want you to appreciate your prayers. I wish you'd keep us in prayer. I still have lots of traveling to do this year. Uh, we've done lots already this year. We started January the 1st, and it's been somewhat of a, I mean, it's, we've been busy uh, ever since January the 1st. It's been somewhat of a schedule. And my wife just needed to be home for a while. She said, I just need to be home. I just need to be home and, and unwind. And so that's what she's doing. And uh, pray for me, though, as I always ask you to, get your kids to pray for me. You have a lot of children in this church, folks, more than, more, more than most churches your size. And if you teach your children to pray for me, I would appreciate it, and I would be impressed with it. I love it when I know children are praying for me. There are no pleasing pleatitudes when they pray. Man, they just tell it like it is, you know. And I've... <laughs> uh, one little girl up in... Um, where was this? It was in New York, some, some town in New York. Anyway, she was just about five years old, maybe something like that. And, and uh, she said to her mother, they were, pray, they were having prayer, and she said, well, let's pray for Brother Fielder that he'll be saved. And uh, the mother said, well, honey, he's already saved. Well, he needs to be baptized then. <laughs> but those kids are praying for me. And listen, I need it. I really need it. And they might ask God to bless you while they're asking God to bless their dogs and cats. And if I was God, I'd bless their dogs. I wouldn't bless their cats, but I would bless their dogs. <laughs> anyway, appreciate the offering. I haven't received it yet, but I'll try to behave myself tonight. I don't want to do anything to interrupt that at this point. 
And uh, I appreciate your support of our ministry, and you folks have done that for quite a number of years. And I may have said this to you before, but um, local church evangelism, there's not enough money in it to stay out there year after year and maintain transportation and all that kind of stuff without some supplement. And we don't have full support, of course. We never have tried to have full support, but we do have supplementary support, and you folks are part of it. And that helps us because there are times in the year when you're not going to book full meetings. And uh, around Christmas time, you might not book any at all, you know. And then there are cancellations, and there's pastor changes, and those things come up, and the supplemental support really is a help when that happens. And, um, you know, I appreciate your pastor. I uh, appreciate Brother Legault. He has done an extraordinary job here for how many years? How many years have you been here, pastor and assistant? Sixteen and twenty-three, twenty-two rather, that'd be thirty-eight. Man, that's over thirty-five years. My goodness, no wonder your hair is kind of turning gray. <laughs> but they've done a good job. Uh, he's one of the best mentors that I've met in thirty-nine years of evangelism. And I appreciate your current pastor. He has not listen. He has not said one derogatory thing about one person in this church. And that's a sign of a good pastor. And I think he has wisdom beyond his years, to be honest with you folks. And he has such a wonderful way of being, you know, in the pulpit. His pulpit manner is just excellent. What else would you want me to say, brother? <laughs> no, I meant every bit of that. I really did. I'm just going to tease him about that. But I'm going to tell you something, folks. You, you can take this home with you. All of God's great pastors are not pastoring large churches. God has some great pastors that are pastoring smaller churches. You have a great pastor here, and you've had a great pastor all the way back to the beginning of this church. And this has been a good place. It really has. And lots of lives have been touched here. Never take that for granted. Amen. Anyway, open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. That's where I'll be reading from tonight. Galatians chapter 6. I'm not going to read the entire chapter, I think. I'm going to begin in verse 1, read down through verse 10. We'll give you a few things tonight to think about. Uh, I want to try to preach a little slower tonight. I'm, I, every time I try, that it lasts about five minutes. And then I'm back in my gate, you know. You know, old mules have a gate. And they can't plow well unless they're in their gate, you know. But I'll try again tonight. Sometimes to the book table, somebody says, they don't want to hurt my feelings. They'll say, you know, I mean, if you could, uh, I mean, what I'm trying to say is if, um, if you could just slow down, slow down a little. My wife, if she's there, she says, no, he never would get finished. <laughs> oh, but I'll try it again tonight. Beginning in verse 1, it reads like this. Brethren, if a man... Be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest they also be tempted. Bear you one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden, that him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things." Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. 
For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. With that, let's bow our heads now and pray. Father, once again, it's been a blessing to be here already, and we can leave now and say it was and has been. Once again, we're down to the most important part when we deal with the Word of God. And Lord, I love doing that. I've been doing it most of my life, and I sure want to do it the rest of my life, but I especially want to do it tonight. And Lord, I never really feel totally adequate. I never really feel that I've arrived, and perhaps I never should. Lord, I look to you tonight to pray and trust that you'll breathe on the service and breathe on the sermon and breathe on thy servant once again. And let me do what I've been doing most of my life now, and that is enlarge on the Scripture and preach the Word of God. And Lord, I thank you for these dear folk that have had me in. It's been such an honor to be in their church and be in this pulpit. And thank you for this dear pastor and his love for his people and his love for Jesus and his love for the Word of God and his friendship to me. Would you bless once again tonight, and when the service is over, may we all be able to exclaim once again, the Lord met with us. God was in the service tonight. Something was done that helped us and said that, was, that helped us. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. A way of introduction, there are four things that Paul emphasized here uh, that I'd like to just take a few moments to emphasize. First of all, there's the potential of falling into sin according to verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Uh, overtaken, and I've, I've commented on this already this week, especially about David. Uh, there was no premeditation in, Dave, on, in David's story. Uh, when he was out walking on the roof of his house that afternoon real late, he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time, and his flesh got him, and we've talked about that. But I don't believe for one second that he was out there looking for an opportunity to fall into sin. He was overtaken in a fault. But, and listen, it can happen to us. Uh, before you indict David too heavily, you need to realize that you're made out of the same flesh he's made of. All of us are. There is that potential there. And the Bible said in Proverbs 27, verse 1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Uh, you can read about David and say, I want to tell you something, that would never happen in my, don't say stuff like that. Because you don't know what tomorrow holds. That's what the Bible said. The Bible went far enough to say in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. And uh, what happened to David could happen to us. We never forget, folks, since I've shared that verse with you, this. Uh, your affiliations will affect your affections. And your affections will determine your actions. And I say that, I say that when I say that, I'm saying it really for the benefit of young people as well as all of us, but especially young people. Uh, you've known of a teenager that was just doing fine. They're faithful in church. They bring their Bible. They read the Bible. They're making notes, and they begin to buddy with a teenager that's not spiritual. And the next thing you know, they're not doing that. They're missing a service here or there, and then finally they're out altogether. And you know why? Their affiliations affected their affections, and their affections began to determine their actions. And it could happen to any of us. I've seen young couples do the same thing. Many a teenager has had his life ruined with a bad buddy. I'm talking about boys or girls for that matter. Now, the Bible said in Psalm 19, verse 9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto to thy word? 
You know what it's saying? It's saying if, if, if a young man wants to keep his life straight, keep his life clean, honor God, or young lady, the one, stay in the Word of God. Stay in the Word of God. So your conduct now can affect your marriage. You can do things in your teenage years that will have a holdover into your marriage. Sometimes even wreck it. Did you know that? And the devil, the devil will do his best to sidetrack you in your teenage years because you're vulnerable. You notice what the Bible said in Psalm 19, verse 9. It said a young man. Wherewithal shall a young... It said a man, first of all, who is more vulnerable to fall into sin than a young lady would be typically. But it not only said a man, it said a young man who is at the most vulnerable time of his life. Wherewithal shall a young man who is at the most vulnerable time of his life. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto to that. Stay in that book, Amen. You know, reading your Bible, if you didn't get a thing from it this morning, it had an intimidating effect on the sin, the temptation you had to deal with today. Read your Bible. Stay in that book. Amen. The Bible said in Ecclesiastes 12, 1, Remember thou, now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt have no pleasure in them. Remember now thy creator. He said that to a young person. And I'm going to read a verse to you, and I wish you'd remember this or make a note of it. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. And that's not all the verse. You know what he said next? But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. You know what the writer is saying? He says, all right, go ahead and live loose. Go ahead and let it all hang out if that's what you want to do. But I'm going to tell you something. You're going to have to answer to God one day. And we will. You're going to have to face God. Uh, what is that? Ecclesiastes uh, 12, 13. Now let us show the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is a whole duty of man. Next verse. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing. Uh, listen, you can live loose. But listen, that's not all of it. You're going to have to answer to God for it. It's going, you're going to have to deal with that. The Bible said in Proverbs 13, 20, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Uh, young person, you know what you ought to do? You ought to have a, a criteria by which you choose your friends. Choose a friend that you believe is closer to God than you are. One that has a greater zeal for God in the Bible than you have. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to help inspire you. And they're going to help bring you up to where you need to be. Every man and every young lady needs to listen. There is the potential. And uh, I'm going to say this, and you know this is true, whether I say it or not. Young people do not have to sow wild oats. You ever heard that? You know, all these young people, they have to sow their wild oats. No, they don't. Look at me. I have never tasted liquor in my life. I've never tasted beer in my life. I've never smoked a joint in my life. And you may not believe this, but I can walk straight and chew gum at the same time. It didn't warp my, my, me a bit. Matter of fact, I think it was helpful. But notice another potential. There's possibility of prevention. The Bible said in James 1.12, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. In, listen, God expects us to endure temptation, not submit to it. Endure temptation. The Bible said in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. You will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. But we with temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Have you ever noticed that verse? It's given 
with the assumption that you have your eyes on Jesus. And God said, if you have your eyes on Jesus, I mean, in effect, uh, if you have your eyes on the Lord, you're trying to live for God. God said, I will not let it happen. You're not going to lose your testimony if you're having your eyes on Jesus. And you ought to do If you don't have, you should have. You know what the Bible said in Matthew eleven twenty eight? Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. You know what that is? That is a lifetime assignment to every born-again child of God. Get your eyes on Jesus and spend the rest of your life learning about him. So how are we going to learn about him in this book? You know what the Bible said in Hebrews 10, 7, and then said, I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written to me to do thy will, O God. He's in Genesis 1-1. Elohim. That's not a plural term. It's a compound word. Plural means two or more. Compound means more than two. That's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit involved in the creation. He's in Revelation 22 and verse 20. He's in the volume of the book. As a matter of fact, someone said, and I can't prove this, but someone 18 and verse 8, the middle verse in our Bible, has for his two middle words, the Lord, with reference to our Lord. He's in the volume of the book. He's everywhere. Amen. A good illustration that I'd share with you, and it's not a pleasant one, but it makes the point. When I was pastoring in Fort Pierce, Florida, there was a young couple, young family joined our church. They came out of the Southern Baptist Convention, joined our independent Baptist church there, and, and they had three little boys, and those three little boys were in our Christian school, and they were ideal little boys. We never had one speck of trouble with those kids, and the family came to church regularly and faithfully. For some reason, they decided after a while that our church was a little bit too tight. And uh, they went to a church that's a little bit more moderate. And they hadn't been over there very long until that mother ran off with another man. Now, here's the reason I shared that with you. Uh, by the way, your church membership's important. Uh, it's just as much, if you're a member of this church, it's just as much God's will that you be here as it is your pastor be here. But anyway, what happened was they got out from under God's umbrella of protection because they got out of God's will. You get out of God's will, God is not obligated to keep 1 Corinthians 10, 13, folks. Because if he were, nobody would ever fall into sin. But it works as long as you have your eyes on Jesus. God said, I won't let it happen. I'll take care of you. And he will. There is the potential of falling. Notice there's secondly, there are the people involved in restoring. Look at verse 1 again. Ye which are spiritual. Restore such and one. See, mature Christians have a responsibility toward weaker Christians. Look at verse 10. As we've therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto those, or them rather, who are of the household of faith. In verse 2, bear you one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Uh, you know, in any church anywhere that is doing the work of God, there are people at all different levels of spiritual maturity. There's some that have just gotten in, let's say. young lady got saved Sunday morning. I don't know if she's here tonight, but a young lady just got saved Sunday morning. We have to understand that she's a babe in Christ. And, uh, and you can expect her to respond to the preaching, perhaps, that we've been directed to some of these guys that have been here, and been here longer than I have. Uh, because she's, when I was pastoring, Pastor, I, I had a little struggle with that. Because if I ever preached to the people sternly, it was on Sunday night. And nearly every time on Sunday night, I'm ready to preach that sermon. And the devil says, now look out there. There's those new people out there. And they don't need to hear what you're going to say. <laughs> so I had to have a struggle back and forth on that. 
Anyway, there are people at different levels of spirituality. Have you ever noticed that sometimes a man gets saved and he's smoking and he drinks, dr- drinks liquor and so forth and he has no problem getting rid of the liquor but he really has a struggle with those cigarettes? That happens, folks. I remember when I started the church in Fort Pierce, Florida, um, one of the fellows there, Bill Davis, and uh, Bill was the only guy that could lead the song service, but he smokes. And I'm not going to have him on the platform smoking. And uh, he knew I wanted him to do it. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll give him cigarettes. And, and I said, well, that's fine. If you're going to give your cigarettes up, we, we'll have you on the platform leading the song service. And I found out a little while later, he'd gone back to the cigarettes. So I had to make a decision. Am I going to take Bill off the platform and put him back on the seat down there? And I knew if I did, it'd hurt him because they'd already given him that position. And you know what I did? I said, Lord, I'm going to pray for Bill. I'm going to leave him right where he is. I'm going to pray that he'll get sick of those cigarettes. And a few weeks later, he came to me. He got so sick of cigarettes, he couldn't even stand the smell of cigarettes. But what I'm doing, I'm illustrating the fact that, uh, that there's some people that have burdens they're dealing with. They have struggles with one thing or another. And we have to be patient with that. I, uh, I have a friend who's an evangelist. It's been a good church evangelist for years, about as long as I have. And uh, when he first started out, brother, he shot everything that moved twice. I mean, he pushed against tennis shoes, <laughs> spitting on the sidewalk, you know. He covered the whole spectrum, and he was pretty terse about it. And uh, he was preaching in South Georgia in one of the churches there, and uh, he preached one of his stiff sermons. After the service, one of the men came up, and uh, his name was Ken. He said, it's not my son, by the way. He said, "Uh, Brother Ken, I'm going to ask you something. He said, did you have those convictions when you got saved? He said, no, I got saved over here in the Southern Baptist Church. He said, it took me a while to really get grounded and uh, get my convictions sorted out and so forth. And he said, uh, he looked him right in the eye and he said, could you give me a little time? (laughs) Could you give me a a little time? Does that make the point? Uh, when I first passed, started pastoring church, I'm going to tell you what I did. I thought if I thought I'd get saved, and I thought if it's right to do it, it's, you start right now. And I lost some people unnecessarily because I was too hard on them. And I, I wasn't patient like I'm preaching about here tonight. Of course, I pastored 19 years, and, and I've been in evangelism 39, and, and actually I've learned a little bit. I've learned a little bit. Bear you one another's burdens. Some come, listen, one man gets saved, he, he has no problem with liquor, but his cigarettes will struggle. Another man gets saved, he has no problem getting rid of cigarettes, but he still has that desire for the liquor. Uh, you have to bear with them, folks. You know why? Because their body's not saved. That old body's just like it was before they got saved. So you're trying to provide people with a crutch, I'm just trying to help you, amen. Oh, listen, all of us, when we got saved, we had some things we had to struggle with. Amen. I, um, the two things every Christian needs. He needs example and he needs encouragement. Listen, every mature Christian ought to have an eye out for the new converts or those that have not matured yet in order to look for an opportunity to be a help to them and encourage them and lift them up. They need that. Anyway, that's why verse 1 said, but brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fall. Some of those new converts are going to get overtaken in a fall, folks. I, uh, I remember when I was, um, not too long after I got saved. I got saved when I was 15 years old. And 
And uh, our church had Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, like all churches did in those days. And uh, I, I missed Sunday night a time or two. And uh, I knew I should have been there, but I didn't go. And one of the men uh, came to work. I, I don't think he came to the house, but he saw me. He said, uh, Gerald, we've been missing you on Sunday night. Do you know what that did? That told me that that's where I needed to be, and I never missed it after that at all. Uh, somebody, mature, he's a mature fellow. He saw that I needed some encouragement in the right direction. When I'm saying that, you folks that are mature in Christ, are you thinking about somebody right now that's part of this congregation that uh, somehow or another God could use you to encourage them and perhaps stand alongside of them? Maybe go by and visit with them and have some fellowship with them, take them out to lunch or something like that. Notice there's the potential of falling. There are the people involved in, rest, in restoring, restoration. There's also the purpose for restoration. You know what it is? Fulfilling the law of Christ. That's what the Bible said in verse 2. Bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. James 2.8. If you feel, fulfill the royal law, the same thing. According to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself you do well. By the way, the second greatest commandment, and I've shared it with you this week, Mark 12, 31, the second is, name it like this, thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself, thy brothers thyself. There's none of the commandment greater than these, Jesus said. He gave them the first. The scribe said, which is the greatest commandment? And I think he was sincere about that. Mark 12, 13, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. And the second like, like, is this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Uh, folks, uh, I said it the other night, we are right. We are right. Doctrinally, we are right. But we don't always do right the right way. Oh my, Jesus reminded us of this in John 13, 34, didn't he? A new commandment given to you that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. If you have love one for another. The Bible said in John 13, verse 1, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Listen, that takes in a lot of territory. Those disciples had more problems than Carter had liver pills. Listen, they were loaded with problems. Having loved his own, which when the world, he loved them unto the end. Isn't there, isn't there something there for us? You know, let me give you an example. You know how Jesus dealt with Peter? Well, beforehand in Luke 22 and verse 31, he said, The Lord said, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you, but he may sift you as wheat. You know what he said in verse 32? But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail thee not, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Uh, listen, Jesus dealt tenderly with Peter, even though Peter publicly, audibly denied him. You know what Peter did? He went from being um, a fierce defender to a fierce denier. And I pastored the church long enough, folks. I saw some people like that. Every once in a while, we'd have somebody come in like gangbusters. Boy, I'd preach on soul winning there on the floor. Everybody get your stinking carcass out here Thursday night. We're going to lock on some. If you love God, you'll be here Thursday night. A month later, six weeks later, nobody knows where they are. Peter, if you, if you ever wondered who it was that cut Malchus's ear off when they came to get Jesus that night, would you like to guess? They said, we've come to get Jesus in Nazareth. Oh, Peter said, not tonight. You're not pulled that sword out. Cut that guy's ear right off. 
Jesus put it back on. If I'd been in that other crowd, I'd left about that time, wouldn't you? Anybody can put ears back on when I'm messing with him. But anyway, that when Peter denied the Lord, he is the one who's audibly recorded as doing that. Jesus dealt with him tenderly like God would do. And see, without Jesus, and then there's the problem of pride. I just rushed through some things here. There is the problem. Look at verse 3. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. I'm going to tell you something. Without Jesus, we are nothing. Anybody that thinks they are has the wrong spirit. Amen? Let me give you some illustrations. In John 15, verse 5, Jesus said this, Without me ye can do nothing. In 1 Corinthians 8, If a man think he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. In Galatians 6, If a man think himself to be something, when he's nothing, he deceiveth himself. And you know what those verses tell us? Without Jesus, you can do nothing, you know nothing, you are nothing. Matter of fact, we're awfully infinitesimal without him. And we can do nothing without him. That's what he said. Uh, as long as we live humbly and walk humbly with the Lord and realize that he is our source of strength and inspiration and power, uh, we're going to do all right. But there are two things about pride. Number one, there are admonitions in the scripture. The Bible said in Proverbs 29 23, a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. In Proverbs 16 18, pride goeth before destruction and a holy spirit before a fall. We've got, we have several warnings. What about this one? Uh, Proverbs 16, verse 5. Everyone that's proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. What about this one? Proverbs 28, 25. He that's of a proud heart stirreth up strifes. Doesn't that border on Proverbs 13, 10? Only by pride cometh contention. <laughs> there are, listen, there are the admonitions in Scripture. There are the observations. As a matter of fact, there are the experiences we ourselves have had when we thought we had arrived and we really hadn't, when we thought we could and we really couldn't. I want to tell you something, folks. Uh, the devil works on preachers and just like he does the members. You know, see, just to dramatize that, exaggerate a little bit, a little bit. You're sitting on the seat waiting to preach, and the devil's telling you it's not going to work tonight. You preached your last good sermon. You're going to mess up tonight. You might as well get ready for it. You come to the pulpit, dear God, if you don't help me, I can't preach. Lord, if you don't help me, it's not going to work. And the Holy Spirit of God gets in the matter. And you preach a good sermon, and the service is over, and the devil gets on your shoulder. I want to tell you, you're the greatest thing since ice cream. There is no preacher like you. <laughs> you know who that is? That's the devil. <laughs> anyway, then for the message, I'm going to give you some things. I'm going to tell you a minute. But I will tell you this. We're going to get out tonight. If you're making notes, write this down. We have an admonition, verse 7. Be not deceived. That's an admonition. If that was all God said in that verse or in that whole book, that's an important statement, folks. Be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man soweth. That shall he also reap. There are two things to note about that passage. Number one, there is the obvious expression of it. Be not deceived. It is an exhortation. It's a mandate. It's a command. There are some things you can't afford to be deceived about. You can be about wrong about some things and go to heaven, but there's some things you can't afford to be deceived about. You can't afford to be deceived about the Savior, can you? Satan has a universal army working to deceive the world on that. 
You know what the Bible said in 2 John verse 7? For many deceivers are entered into the world. Many. When, God, when I say many, that means a lot. When God says many, it means worlds more than it does when I say it. He deals in bigger numbers than we do. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. It didn't say he's the antichrist. It said he is an antichrist. And Jesus warned us about those in Mark 13, verse 22, and he said this, For a false Christ and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and, did you get that? Shall show signs and wonders and seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. And then Luke 21, 8, he said, Take heed that you be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Um, you know, somebody did some research on this, and I don't know how true this is, but I'll share it with you anyway. They determined there had been over 1,100 people came forward in the last 100-year period professing themselves to be Christ came back to the earth. And they're all gone, of course. They don't last very long. I heard about one over in England. He, he came out on the platform and large crowd of people out there. He's professing himself to be Christ. And somebody out in the crowd said, Show us your hands. Show us your hands. He had no scars in his hands. The story is he went back through the curtain and nobody saw him after that. You've heard of Mr. Moon, had you, a little round fellow that came over here from the Orient? He said, my name is Mr. Moon. I'm the modern day Messiah. I've come to finish up what Jesus failed to finish. My first thought was, what would that be, sir? <laughs> and uh, you know what I've been telling people? The simplest of us know the moon's not the sun. Some of you catch that later. <laughs> You can't afford to be deceived about, about the Savior. You can't afford to be deceived about salvation. Matter of fact, God made salvation simple enough that all of us could get it. Matter of fact, and I could share a lot of verses with you, but what about 1 John 5, 11? This is the record that God hath given to us to eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. That's simple enough for anyone. If you have Christ, you have eternal life. You're on the way to heaven. I don't care whether you're a Baptist or not. Well, I do care, but I mean, well, you don't have to be a Baptist to go to heaven. Personally, I'm glad they're going to be some old-fashioned Methodists up there because Baptists have trouble getting along very long at a time. Maybe we can get along with them. You can't afford to be wrong about sin. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Truth of the is. said you're lying about it. You can't afford to be wrong about yourself. For if a man think himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. You can't afford to be wrong about Satan. Why? He is the master of deceit. By the way, you can't afford to be wrong about the second coming of Christ either. Amen. Now that's the verse I tried to quote there, the passage I tried to quote the other night. First Thessalonians 4.13. But I will not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you saw not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are lying and remain to the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are lying and remain shall be cut up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That is a wonderful passage of Scripture, folks. See, I was raised in our millennial country. Our millennial down south means they believe that one of these days the Lord's coming back and that's the end of everything. Well, if that's true, 
what is going to happen to all those horrendous events that the book of Revelation said are going to happen? They believe the Lord's return is imminent. He could return right now. The amillennials believe that, folks. The Lord could return right this minute. What's going to happen? All that stuff God said was going to take place in the book of Revelation. Didn't make any sense to me. And it makes less sense now. But anyway, we see the expression. We also see the implication of that verse. See, we are subject to be deceived. The Bible said in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, um, Be not, beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. You know why he said beware? Because we're subject. We're prone to be deceived if we're not careful. He didn't use that, verse, that word very much in his 14 epistles. I'm talking about the Apostle Paul. There are three things to keep in mind about deception. There is the person of deception. Satan has several names in the Bible, folks, but one in relation to this is deceiver. He is a deceiver. And he's good at it. Uh, you know why a person that's lived for God for several years will, will fall into sin? Because the devil's convinced them they're going to get by with it. And it's not a big problem. Have you ever heard of a bank robber robbing a bank knowing full well he's going to be caught? They don't think they'll get caught. Uh, people that go out and murder folks, they don't think they're going to get caught. The devil deceives people like you and I and telling us you're going to get by with it. It's going to be all right. You go ahead and do what you want to do. But he is the deceiver. He has a good track record. But he is the master of deceit, I said. He deceived Eve, the first two people God put on this earth. Um, you know what he did? He did three things that he still does. He questioned the word of God, Genesis 3, 3. He contradicted the word of God, Genesis 3, 4. And then he convinced Eve to disobey the word of God in verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and pleasant to the eyes and tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her. And he, By the way, he was there. He didn't arrive at the last minute. He was there all along. I heard some time ago it wasn't the apple on the tree that was a problem. It was that pear on the ground. Some of you didn't get that, did you? Satan deceived Saul, the first king of Israel. You know what the Bible said about him in 1 Samuel 9 2? A choice young man and a goodly, and there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier than he. He was tall, dark, and handsome. He would have been voted most likely to, to succeed to have they had a vote. God chose this young man. He was the finest prospect in all the land. He's going to be the king. And things went well for a while until the devil got him convinced that he didn't have to obey God. And it went downhill for the balance of 40 years. And um, ended up with him dying as a backslider. God cut him off. He deceived Solomon. Boy, that's something else. Solomon according to the Bible, had wisdom exceeding that of any king who had ever lived or ever would live. It was said about Solomon, you could approach him about any subject under the sun. He could talk to you intelligently about it because God had given that to him. But after having said that, let me tell you something, he did do some dumb things. He sinned willfully. That's what we do. He married 700 wives. And that was bad enough. But it goes downhill from there. You got 700 wives. You have 700 mother-in-laws. And I probably said it here before, but if there had been a super Walmart close by with those 700 wives and their mothers, they could have broken Solomon. I'm talking about the Baptist Mall. Uh, they could have broken Solomon up. And he had a fabulous income. I'm pretty good at math, but preacher, I, couldn't, I could not calculate his income. I got lost trying to do it. <laughs> 
Oh, my. Uh, ladies, we have to pick on somebody. But there is a potential for deception. Do you know that religious deception is the worst deception there is? The devil would not dare tell some people that God, there's no God, that there's no heaven. There's no, he wouldn't tell them that, but he gets them wrapped up in a false teaching. Most of the, listen, I believe this. Most of the religious people in the world tonight are in wrong religions and they're wrong about God. Most of them. The Roman Catholic Church is the greatest thing they ever invented to send people to hell by. The cultists are deceived. The Muslims are deceived. You know what? They think Jesus is just a prophet. Jehovah's Witnesses. You know what? They, they don't have a risen Savior. If you don't have a risen Savior, you don't have a Savior. The Mormons. Their Jesus is the brother of Lucifer. You know, Brother Kenny, I've never figured out why any woman would want to become a Mormon anyway because... They don't tell you this on the first visit, but they believed heaven for a Mormon woman is having her own personal planet and being perpetually pregnant and populating her own planet. That doesn't sound at all like heaven to me. <laughs> there should have been some high-toned amens out there, high-pitched amens. They have another Savior and another gospel. The world, matter of fact, we live in a deceived world, do we not? Revelation 12, 9. But there's a prevention of it. There's one source of prevention. You know what it is? This book. I'm going to tell you something. If you will stay with this book, you're safe. The Holy Spirit of God will teach you every cardinal doctrine in this book. You'll never become a Jehovah's Witness by reading the Bible. You'll never become a Mormon by reading the Bible. You'll never become a Calvinist by reading the Bible. You'll never become a Campbellite by reading the Bible. Somebody has to put those thoughts in your mind from outside the perimeter of Scripture. You read your Bible the rest of your life. You wouldn't come up with those strange, weird ideas. Somebody hadn't put them in your mind. You know what the Bible said in Joshua 8? This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and thou shalt have good success. Psalm 19, 7 said, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Psalm 119, verse 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Correlate that with Proverbs 1, 17. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. So what does that mean, preacher? It means if you're going to try to snare, ensnare a bird, the bird, if the bird can see the snare, you're not going to snare the bird. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. You know, you know how that correlates with Psalm 119, verse 105? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. As long as you have the word of God as a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path, Satan is wasting his time trying to ensnare you because the word of God will reveal it. People get snared because they don't know what the Bible says. I like Psalm 119 verse 130. The entrance of thy word giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. Listen, folks, most of us are in that simple category. There are some people that think they're not. They think they know it all. I like what one fellow said about these people that say they know it all. He said, these people think they know it all really bother us that do. <laughs> With that, let me say this. If you have a good handle on the scripture, you are a highly educated individual. Because this book has the truth in it. <laughs> You're safe. I like what Leonard Ravenhill, the great evangelist of yesteryear said. He said, someday some man's going to get saved and pick up this Bible and believe it. 
Now, I, I know what he was trying to say with that. We say we believe it, but sometimes we don't act like we do. We have an admonition. We also have a declaration. Verse 7, God is not mocked. Can I give you some scripture for that? Psalm 19, verse 160. Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Listen, if God's word has ever been true, it still is. And listen, truth does not have to be revised. If you're going to write untruth, you have to revise that occasionally. But truth never is. How about Psalm 33, 11? The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. Psalm 119, verse 128, Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. How about Psalm 19, 7? The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. How about Psalm 19, verse 8? The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the hearts. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. How about Proverbs 30, verse 5? Every word of God is pure. Add thou not to his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a lion. Let me tell you something. There's something wrong with the spirit of a man that's looking for something wrong with his Bible. Let me ask you something. I know what the answer is. It's kind of rhetorical here. Has it ever occurred to you to start looking for problems in your Bible when you open your Bible to Bible study? It hasn't. You don't have to answer that. Not to Christians. We're not looking for problems. We're trying to figure out how to do all God said to do. Amen. God needs some people that will believe it. We had a lady visit our church in Fort Pierce once when I was pastoring there. And, and uh, there was an issue there because uh, she, has, she was out of a, uh, one of these weird churches. And, and uh, so I went out to her house. And I was trying to help her by reading the scripture. So I read a portion of scripture that Paul gave us on that subject. And I said, ma'am, that's what Paul said. You know what she said? I don't care what Paul said. You know, you can't help people like that. It's over. The meeting's over. When people say, I don't care what the Bible says, the meeting's over. We have an admonition. We have a declaration. We have an observation. Look at verse 7. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Listen, it's called the law of sowing and reaping. How many of you raised on a farm? Raise your hands. Hold them up high so I can see them. Praise the Lord. I'm not alone. <laughs> I, think, I really feel sorry for you unfortunate people that weren't raised on a farm. Really, I'd planned to farm all my life. When I grew up on a farm, I enjoyed it. And I bought me some equipment. First year I tried to farm, God had already called me to preach. We had a bad year and I lost every bit of it. God put me, listen, God put me out where I'd have to talk to people because I was raised on a tractor seat. And I never learned to talk to people. And I didn't want to talk to people. I was kind of like the fellow that the more people I meet, the better I like my dog, you know. God put me on the sales floor at Sears Roebuck and Company in Huntsville, Alabama, and you couldn't stir the people with a stick. I had to get out there and sell stuff. <laughs> and my wife could tell you if she was here, he still has part of that. I can still write a half a day and not say a word, and we've had some interesting discussions over that. <laughs> but I learned on the farm about the laws of the harvest, sowing and reaping. In our family, there were six of us kids, you know, four boys, and each one had two sisters. I've told you that. Same ones. But uh, our staple crop was cotton. And uh, we had our farm, and my dad rented everything else in the community that was available and the cotton allotments on that, on those farms too. You know what? I learned to hate cotton. 
if hating cotton will send you to hell, I'm a hell-bound sinner. I got to the place, I don't want cotton, nothing, amen. But anyway, we planted cotton seed, guess what happened? Cotton came up. Now us kids would have loved it if we'd planted cotton seed and corn had come up. But I want to tell you, it never happened one time. You know why? Because you reap what you sow. And uh, you reap after you sow. And you reap more than you sow. Have you ever approached somebody that's out of the will of God and they hurt your feelings and just really tell you off? You know what their problem is? They hadn't started reaping yet. But if you'll come back a little bit later after they really start reaping, they're much more approachable. The laws of the harvest. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth that shall he also reap. <laughs> Two things confirm that principle. There's the declaration of it in verse 7. There's no question about it here. By the way, that's not the only place in the Bible that God teaches that. Let me give you a couple of more verses. Psalm 17, he made a pit and digged it, and it's fallen into the ditch which he made. Verse 16, his mischief shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealing shall return and come down upon his own pate. In chapter 9, verse 16, Psalms. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. We reap what we sow. We have to be careful that we're sowing the right stuff. Amen. So we can reap from it. There's the declaration of it. There's the demonstration of it. Let me give you a radical demonstration. How many of you remember the name Haman in the book of Esther? You know what he did? He built a big old high gallows. Now, I don't remember how high it was, but it was really high. I think he really wanted to get it up here high so everybody could see it. And he's going, to, he's going to hang Mordecai. God turned it around. And guess who hung on the scaffolds? Haman hung. He built the, scaffold to, scaffold, he built the scaffolds to hang Mordecai. But in, Mordecai gets let off and Haman gets hung. That's a good example of reaping what you sow in it. Now you don't have to turn to this, but in Judges chapter 1 verse 6, listen to this. But Adonabesic a king, fled, and they pursued after him and called him and cut off his thumbs and his great toes. Verse 7, And Adonabezek said, Three score and ten kings, having their thumbs and great toes cut off, gathered their meat unto my table, as I have done, so God hath requited me. You know what he said? All these 70 kings that I conquered, I cut off their great toes and their thumbs. Now they've captured me and God's done me the same way I did them. You know what that is? That's reaping what you sow. Listen, folks, the Bible is true and God is still real. His word is still true. There's the demonstration of it. There's the illustration of it. You're going to sow. You're going to reap what you sow. You're going to reap after you sow. You're going to reap more than you sow. But notice something else. We have an explanation here. Not only we have an admonition, a declaration, an observation, we have an explanation. Verse 8, For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. There are two sides to this statement. Number one, there's the negative side. Sowing to the flesh clearly is laid out for us. And, and, and you know what? In the context, it's in context of chapter 5, beginning of verse 19. And the works of the flesh manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresy, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. You know what it said? The works of the flesh are manifest. If you want to know what the flesh is all about, that's it right there. 
Galatians 5, 19 and through 21. Anyway, that corruption and wickedness results. You know what it results in? Disease, disappointment, and death. If you're not going to follow God, you can get ready for disease, disappointment, and death. Maybe all three of those. Because it's a dead end street. So a preacher, you're just saying that because you're a preacher. I'm saying that because that's what the Bible teaches. That's what millions of people have already learned by their conduct. <laughs> for instance, illicit sex. You know, there's social diseases out there for that. The CDC says that 8,000 teenagers every single day in America contact some type of STDs and uh, usually will never get over those. Sodomy. You know why AIDS is out there? God sent it alone. It's a curse. Do you know what, you know what the average lifespan of a, of a homosexual man is? Uh, somewhere in the 40s. It's like in the lower 40s years. The average I'm talking about. It's a dead end street. It ends in disappointment and death besides disease. You know what the Bible said in Romans 6, 23? You remember that? The wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. The Bible said in James 1, 14, and following, every man is tempted and when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. There's the negative side, but there's also the positive side. If you drop down into verse 8 there, he that soweth to the Spirit shall have the Spirit reap life everlasting. And then we have Galatians 5, 22 and 3. You know, when, when that statement about the flesh is finished there in verse 21, chapter 5, verse 21, the next verse, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So just to hurry up, we have the admonition here. We have the declaration. We have the observation. We have the explanation. We also have the exhortation, verse 9. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You know, the Lord knows we need exhortation. Paul stepped up to the plate on that matter. You know what he said in 1 Corinthians 15, 58? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Christians need to be encouraged today and need to be told, just hang in there. Keep doing right. Because one of these days we're going to hear a trumpet sound so loud it's going to wake up the dead. We're going to be called away to meet the Lord in there. And I understand the very next thing is the judgment seat of Christ. God, I've said it this week already. God's going to reward us for services rendered. Salvation is by grace, but the rewards are not by grace. They are for services rendered. So preacher, what should we do? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 3 said, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be weird and faint in your minds. You know what that means in field of phraseology? Get your eyes on Jesus and keep your eyes on him and never forget what it cost him to save you and start thinking about what it's costing you to serve him. You know why people could on God? They get to think about what it's costing me to serve. If you'll just live cognizant of what it cost him to save you, you'll never come up with a human reason to quit on God. <laughs> Luke 18, when he spake a parable to this end, the men ought always to pray and not to faint. There's a lot of fainting going on in our world today, folks. Lots of fainting. I have an idea. If all of your members were here tonight, there wouldn't be room to seat them in this auditorium. 
That's true of most churches. Did you know that? You've been a good audience. I want you to stand. I could go on some further, but I don't need to. I want you to stand. I want the pianist to come, please, and get ready for the invitation. Father in heaven, I thank you for the word of God tonight. Trust the Holy Spirit's used it to our profit and to the glory of Christ. I've done the best I could with it, and I trust the Holy Spirit has taken up the slack and has used it in all of our lives. There's something has been said tonight that all of us could lay hold of and make some application of in our lives. I pray tonight, should there be someone here that isn't saved, that they'd not leave this building until that matter is settled. And I pray for that in Jesus' name. 